It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to the podcast today. We've got a very special guest, Andrew Hoskins from the Turf District. Andrew, it's been a while since we've chatted. I'm so happy to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I uh, I love coming on to chat with you, and uh, I know it's been uh, you know it's been a while. I, the last time I was on, the Elks were you know what three losses into the rest of the losses for the season. Uh, I was close. I, at that point, I had said they, I didn't see them really winning another one, and they, they won the one against the one practice roster, so we'll give them credit for that. And Now they've made some changes, and we're ready to, to gear up for uh, 2022. Yes, uh, you on this podcast put it out there that they were not going to win a home game, and you <laughs> were exactly right. Yeah, I, I didn't want to get be right on that one. <laughs> like, I really didn't. But uh, sometimes you can, you just, when you watch it for long enough, you're like, yeah. And something major had to change. And they did try and, and make the major change as far as, you know, moving on from Trevor Harris and, and bringing in Taylor Cornelius and, and giving him a shot. And, uh, but that, that, that really wasn't enough. There was just, there's a lot of, on that team last year, there was a lot of individuals and there is a lot less team than what we would like to have seen for sure. Yes, and November 22nd, of course, is the day the music died, as it were, when three members of that executive crew got let go all on the same day. Is that the day the music died or the day the music started? I'm not sure. I, I mean, a matter of opinion, I guess, but yes. True. But what was your reaction? I know, listening to your podcast, how your phone got lit up. Inside, what was your reaction to all that happened that day? Well, I, I think there's a bit of mixed emotion. I, I never want to get excited about somebody losing their job. I don't like that in my own workplace. I, I don't want it for anybody else. I think that on, there was part of me, though, that had a bit of surprise that it was that thorough, uh, for lack of a better word. I, I thought maybe one piece, maybe two would go, but I didn't think it would be all three uh, all on the same day, especially when just the day before uh, they had let, you know, uh, Brock and Jamie had done end of season interviews. And, and it, I think there was really that feeling of, well, they're going to ride this out with the way the, the um, operation salary cap is there. They're going to ride this out and we're going to see what happens. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, the house cleaning came. There's part, like I said, I don't want to be excited about people losing their job, but I, I think changes had to be made. Uh, I was surprised it was this much, but in the long run, uh, sometimes you just need to, you know, start from the beginning and, and see how you can build it up. Chris Preston, Brock Sunderland, and Jamie Elizondo. It's very, very rare that a president, a GM, and a head coach are all released on the same day. Absolutely. And as you think about it more, there was a lot of other things going on that you can kind of understand why that was, why that happened. I mean, on the field, obviously, the, like I, I even just said, the, the team wasn't really playing as a team. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of stuff where they didn't seem to be prepared. We had said that during the season, right? They come in after a bye week and they're they're down two touchdowns before they're seven minutes into a game uh, in both of those uh, in post-bye week games. 
it just seems like, okay, well, they're not really prepared. So there's things going on there. I don't even have to start with a lot of the controversy and things that was surrounding with Brock and some of the things, that, some of the decisions that were made. But then also just from a fan standpoint, a lot of my friends, you know, they're having issues with, well, I'm calling the the store. I'm getting no answer. I'm emailing. I'm not getting an answer. I'm still not feeling like I'm part of anything. I, I don't feel like I'm a season ticket holder. I feel like I'm a number. Like there's no, there was less and less connection. And so I think all of those things kind of added up to, okay, wipe the table clean and start over. Was there anything in the tea leaves at all with Scott Milanovic leaving the team and going to the States? I don't know. I, I mean, I think... Do, do, I, do I think it would have changed the season if he had stayed? I don't think so. I, I think there was a, a, defi- a definite lack of leadership on the field. And I mean that in on the player side of things. I think they, they were missing some of those loud voices, those leadership voices on the on the field. And so it just... I don't know that it would have projected no matter who that head coach is. I think Jamie is in a, was in a bit of a tough position, honestly, when it came to that. Um, he, only, he had to work with what he had. And, um, you know, there, there is definitely wasn't, he wasn't getting a ton of support. Let's put it that, or it just seemed that way. I shouldn't say that he wasn't cause I don't know for sure, but there was just kind of something going on there. So, um, do I, do I think that the, if it was Milanovic would it have been different? Maybe we would have won one or two more games, but I don't think it would have been that significantly different. Honestly, um, they didn't they didn't have the buy in on the field. The word culture came into the lexicon, and I've never really heard that about a football team before. It just seemed like it was overused. They don't fit the culture. They don't fit the culture. That's why X player was cut. You're trying to build something. You're not trying to define something when you start a team. Yeah, I think we all know that there's a culture on, in the team as far as and you look at the teams that had success this year. You, you, I'm going to start with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They, they all there. There is a true feeling that they play for that person beside them, that they, they have that culture of brotherhood, and they're not going to say they're not going to come out and and probably name it that. They're not going to say this is our culture. This is how we. But like you said, they've built that through the things that they normally do and how they learn to play for each other. And obviously the vocal leaders that are on the field help to reinforce that, be that Andrew Harris, Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, Adam Big Hill, these, Zach Aleros, they all go with, we play for each other. Uh, so so they have they have a culture and we can say that they have a culture. But there would never be, well, we're releasing this guy because he doesn't fit our culture. It would just be like, well, we're releasing this guy. Didn't work. End of story. Um, And so we heard it a lot here. And that was an odd thing to be hearing because you then the question kept coming up after that. Well, what, what is the culture that you're setting? And that couldn't be defined either. And so if you can't, make a definition of it, then it's not a real thing. Like, I, I mean, that, don't get me wrong. That, you know, I, I made a joke in the middle of the season. I'm like, yeah, we know what the culture is. It's losing. But <laughs> that's not, uh, you know, obviously that's not what it's supposed to be. But I, I just, it's like, we, it's, it, if it's not defined, then 
ha- I don't think you can really use the word over and over. Do you know what I mean? It seemed to have supplanted the word chemistry, where this team has a chemistry. They they fit together well, and suddenly now it's a culture. And I thought it it took on ter- a term that maybe was higher reaching and and maybe more far reaching. And yet, as you say, was very poorly defined or not defined at all. Yeah, and and the thing is, in past teams, past Edmonton teams, there definitely was a culture. There, they they have a saying that they used bone right, uh, brotherhood of nasty, old name now, but you could say brotherhood of nasty elks, and that carried weight with it. If you were part of the team, you were part of that brotherhood. Right. And so we have had culture before. Absolutely. But we've never named it other than to say, you know, bone. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. I think I think the word was used, um, I guess, like you said, kind of improperly. I, I don't know if it was specific to chemistry or if it was specific to everybody having the same belief system. Um, and but did uh, the pe- people that were here still have that belief system? And I'm, I'm, that's, that's the part where it's really foggy and gray. So I, I'm hoping that whoever the new people are, that they kind of move away from that. They, unless they want to say, hey, we want to build a culture of winning. And it doesn't, that, that's the end of the story. But how they get there, that, that's up to the coaches and the GM and everybody that's there to, to find the way to, to have that. But I think that's where it needs to stop is we want, a culture of winning. We want people to know that they come here to win football games. And, and we also, uh, then as the president ha- that has to come in to say, but we want that culture to extend out to the fan and the, the fans, the season ticket holders, the, you, you want to feel like you're part of something. And that, that's, that's what drew me to be a fan in the first place is I felt like I was part of the team, even though I'm not on it. And, um, they need, they need to get back to that, uh, as a quote unquote culture. On your podcast, one of the sound bites that you use is, and another, and another, we're going to, mm-hmm. one goes down, there's another, there's another. In a sense, the Elks are almost paralleling what the CFL was going through because the Elks now are on this journey to find a new president, a new GM and a new head coach. And the CFL is on a journey to get the league stabilized. So they are partnering with Genius Sports and they have brought in revenue sharing. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on those two ventures? The Genius Sports, I'll probably say the same thing that I said when they were in, you know, they were talking about talking with uh, the XFL. We don't, they were pretty vague on what is actually going to happen with that group. So I, I don't have a big opinion on it other than the fact that Superfan on on Monday Night Show was saying this is a, a group that is you know has deals with the NFL, has deals with EPL, with MLB, with NBA. So obviously they know something. <laughs> they are helpful to those uh, those other leagues. So why shouldn't the CFL have a part of that, right? And and why shouldn't they be able to benefit off that the way those other leagues are benefiting off of it? So I guess I, I'm excited to see what more will happen with it. Is that Does that mean that they're, those people are going to help them with, um, you know, in-stadium betting? Are, are, are those people going to help them with 
online true fantasy football? Um, are these people just going to help make the CFL.ca stats page better? Like we don't know yet, but when I know that, the I'll be I'll can pass judgment whether I'm excited or not. But I think right now they're partnering with something that other leagues are partnering with that are being successful. So that's not a bad thing in my mind. Uh, and revenue sharing, we've been saying for years, we need to put something in place where they actually have to act as a league. And it's not nine teams that all happen to play in this under this same umbrella that doesn't really mean anything. Um, uh, don't get me wrong. The CFL means something that I, as I said that I'm like, that's not what I meant, but I, I just want to make sure that it's, I like the fact that there's, if there's revenue sharing, then it's nine teams going towards a, a, a communal goal. And it's not nine teams that are looking out for themselves individually in a collective. Right. So uh, I think revenue sharing is a great first step for that. And, and, and it's going to mean that there's going to be some teams that will need help one year. And, you know, 10 years later, that team will be able to help out the next team that needs help. And, and we need to get away from back when the riders needed a telethon to keep going. Now they could be supporting Toronto. Right. So it's I think it I think it's good for the league as a whole. And, and to me, that's the, the long term goal. Ambrosi, during his state of the league address, reiterated several times that the plan is to get teams to break even or make some money every year once everything gets fleshed out. I think that's a possibility. I think if you get especially the in-game experience, the mm-hmm. television experience, the betting experience, if they all start moving forward together, I believe that there's a huge opportunity for revenue streams to come to the CFL and that would stabilize that that aspect of the league. Absolutely. And and when you think about it, again, now there is there's a reason for when the Argos come to Edmonton for Toronto to want to try and help promote that because before they get, they get, they get nothing, right? Now, if as a whole, they are helping to promote each other, then that is a bigger pool in the end for everybody. And that pans out not only for the league, but that should also pan out when we're starting to look into things like the CBA when that comes up in uh, you know next year. Players they they're they're looking at a percentage right of of getting some uh, this uh, a portion of it goes to where the salary cap lands. Well, if all of the teams are making money, <laughs> right? That's players can make more money. I think there's a good way that that could be a partnership. And and again, now we have everybody pulling on the same side of the rope for success. And we don't have this constant tug of war between teams and league and players and all these things. They, they could all be partners in making this a bigger thing. I've heard it brought to me this way. The league is very good at game day. It's what it does with the other six days of the week that causes the trouble. <laughs> Interesting. I would say that that's not league-wide, though. There are some teams that are very good in those other six days. And there's other teams that could learn from the teams that are good at it. Um, I think there's also... 
there's some teams that need to be better at game day. I, I, I'll use my own team as an example. I think that that in-stadium experience could be a lot better. It could be more uh, like you feel like you're in something that you wouldn't just get from sitting and watching the game at home. And right now it's a, it's really just like, okay, yes, I'm seeing it live, but I'm still just watching the game. There, there's nothing else to it that would be like, I have to be in the stadium for this. I have to be there. This is the part that I really look forward to. Like they're, they're, they're kind of missing that. And, and I don't think the Elks are alone in that. I think that does happen in other stadiums too, but I, I think they could be all better at that. But some of them do the six days really, really well. Some of them do game day really, really well. Why can't they work together so that it's really good all the time? And next thing you know, again, you're helping each other out for the bottom, the base bottom line that'll be spread out between the teams. It's a combination of best practices and horizontal accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the best practices is the best way to look at it. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. 108th Grey Cup, you watched it? Absolutely. Great game. Do you feel for the Tiger Cats? Oh, do I ever. Do I ever. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I remember 2002. Uh, I went to the game. My team is playing at home. I this is this is a lock, right? We're gonna be watching our team win the Grey Cup at home. This is gonna be amazing. And stupid Montreal. Um, so that was uh, you know, so I, I I totally feel for them, but but on top of that, that was in just such dramatic fashion. To have a 12 point lead in the fourth quarter, just a couple of plays, right? Like run it out of the end zone. Run it out of the end zone. If if he makes the 20-yard line, they have the same percentage chance of winning as if they take the point. If he gets any farther than that, the, the percentage goes up because all they have to do is kick the field goal to win. And so I I I, I feel I feel bad about that. I feel Mazzoli came in and played amazing. And if if Hamilton would have won, he was the MOP hands down. Wouldn't have even been a like it's not even an argument, right? Had an amazing game and just the 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 tip at the end, like uh, that turned into the interception. Uh, after what I think is it was a very questionable holding call, especially when you see in overtime when when Winnipeg got their touchdown that. I mean, Simone Lawrence was held exactly the same way, no call, but then that call happens in the in the second half. Uh, and I, I understand. I mean, I was cheering for Hamilton. I wanted that story. When, you know, you've had the longest drought, have all nine teams win it in 11 years. You're winning it at home when you haven't had the Grey Cup there in 25 years. Like, I just thought that's, that is an awesome CFL story. So I, I felt bad for the team and I felt bad for the fans because it's it was just like a, you might as well just kick them right in the nards. It's bad. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Bo Levi Mitchell brought up the fact that the Stampeders had lost in overtime in 2016 and then quite a wild finish in 2017 to the Argonauts and yet came back Mm -hmm. to win in 2018. And he was urging patience with this group of players and coaches saying they could be back, they could actually finish the job next year. Yeah, how much of that team is going to be back together? That is the question, though. Because it's all fine and good for Bo Levi to say that, they they needed to change a few pieces and they um they had less free agents than what Hamilton has now, right? I I mean I don't know. And and you look at guys like Brandon Banks, an off year. Do do we know if he's gonna be back? Like there's so many and and are they going to have the one and one A with the quarterbacks or or you know, like Dane Evans has already said, you know, I want to come back to Hamilton, but I don't think it would be right if I didn't at least see what free agency was about. I I don't know if if you were coming in with that same solidified offensive line with Don Jackson back, who I think was a huge piece for them. Is Braylon Addison going to be back and is he going to be healthy? Um, it, it, do they have their starting quarterback that can stay healthy <laughs> for the entire year? Um, you know, if they keep and they, if they keep a bunch of the pieces, that defense is unreal. If they can keep a bunch of those pieces, can they can they make that happen? Yeah, sure. But the, the fact is, is with the way the CFL is. We, we, we honestly just don't know if, if that team is going to look the exact same a second year in a row. They did well keeping a majority of them from 2019 to 2021. I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do the same thing from 21 to 22. I, I, I would love to see it. I'd love to see Hamilton end the drought. Simone Lawrence and Brandon Banks have been to the show four times and have not come away with the hardware. Oh, yeah, it's a tough one, right? Well, and... You look at Jagger Davis and and Tunde Adelke, who have you know respectively been in in five and four straight Grey Cups, and uh, but they 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 both have one ring for it. <laughs> yeah, you'd like to see it happen. I, I don't know what I don't know what the piece is that they're missing. Honestly, like uh, uh, other than maybe a little bit more on that offensive line to give a, a little bit more time. Um, I think Don Jackson fills the role of the the running back because they were they weren't really using a lot of running backs. I mean, their other their other pieces are good. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do when they get into that next year. I, I hope that's the case, though. I, I'd really like to see them in the drought, uh, unless the Elks are there, because then screw them. We need to win. Yeah. <laughs> the Blue Bombers. The one thing that they did manage to do was keep the 2019 team together to go forward again. Pretty much, yes. Can they do it a third time? Can they keep everybody together? There are a few people on that team that are starting to age out. We may see some retirements. Was this maybe the the best that they could be and, and the decline is going to follow now? Uh, possible, but I, I think they might, if they lose a couple of pieces, they showed at the beginning of this season when they didn't have, you know, Winston Rose, they didn't have, uh, Sergio Castillo. They didn't, uh, they didn't have Andrew Harris cause he was injured. They still had success. I think that they right now are in a position where they could have some retirements and they already have guys that could fill the role and, and do it well enough that they will have some success. I, I, I don't, you know, want to throw around and say, well, they're going to be as good as they were this year, but 
but there is a chance that they could absolutely pull it off. Um, it's really going to depend on on how much else changes. You know, we've we've talked about O'Shea. You you can't tell me that Buck Pierce isn't going to get a few people scoping around if they're looking for a head coach, things like that. So. I think that they could absolutely do it, but I, I would not even make that prediction until we get into training camp next year and we see who's on that roster. Let's focus back towards the Elks. There have to be some names that are being tossed around in terms of who's going to be coming. Oh, yes. I've heard Chris Jones, who I know is maybe not your favorite choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the guy did bring a Grey Cup to Edmonton. He will be amenable to doing both jobs, as we saw in Saskatchewan. Mike O'Shea, is that a possibility if the Elks offer him both roles? Well, there's a ton of names out there, right? Um, it does look like they are looking for that combo role. In, in most of the higher rumors that we've heard right now, we've heard Chris Jones absolutely is uh, for, uh, for the dual role. Uh, there's There was a rumor of Dave Dickinson. There was a rumor of Mike O'Shea. I, I think the Elks do themselves a disservice if they don't even if they don't at least ask to talk to these people. You, you have to do that. Does anything come from that? I, I, I don't know. I, I look the. I think if it's Dickinson, I, I think Calgary's happy to. Okay, well, we'll throw you a bit more money and you stay here. That's their heir apparent, right? Um, if it's O'Shea, uh, I I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love that <laughs> because. I love his work ethic. I love the way that he works with players. I, in the couple of times that I've chatted with him, he just seems like a down to earth, you know, lunchbox guy. I would love it. I don't know though, because one of the reasons that he's so awesome is that he's a loyal dude. Unless he really wants that GM side and he wants to dip his toe into that why would he leave such a good situation that he has now so so i'm not sure about that so so that leaves chris jones now the thing is is he's a polarizing guy at best um extra polarizing here because it's still i understand it was six years ago but it's still fresh like we're doing the the gray cup parade and as we're doing that you're basically got your flight ticket and you're leaving the next day with the entire coaching staff it wasn't just him it was the entire coaching staff gone right so there that that's a wound that hasn't completely healed and so throwing him back in the mix is like, well, let's just throw the salt on, right? Because uh, we're all the fan base is already frustrated with the team. I think that's a polarizing figure because there's some people that are just like, yeah, well, he wins games. Bring him back, right? The one thing that I will say, I did, my big thing is I didn't want him because I didn't want that change again. What I, what I want is somebody to come in and build a long-term goal with this team and a long-term solution with this team. I don't want this constant change of head coaches and other coaches. And I mean, if coaches are getting promoted into other roles with other teams, I, I totally support that. But, and, and in the CFL, the name of the game in the last probably eight years is change, right? All these one year deals and people are flying all over the place. And, and to me, that I, I want them to get rid of that. I want to have some consistency so that you can get behind your guy, right? 
I think that's why you see that success again in Winnipeg, in Hamilton. Uh, even even when you look, and I know it's only been a couple of years, but you look in Montreal with Kahari Jones and and uh, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. and th- th- those are their guys, and they're going to be there, and it's that's what you want to have, right? So I I I really want that, and that's the one thing that I don't think Jones can bring because he'll be here. And then in two years, he'll get an offer for more or a bigger role somewhere and he'll just go. Like there isn't that, it just isn't that attachment. So the one thing that has brought me around a little bit on Chris Jones is if they get the right president, then it might be okay. Because one thing Jones will do is he will build a team. He will make that team play well. He'll put, you know, he'll hold them to account he does build a winning culture and he does know talent. He does know how to bring in guys that can make that defense play out of this world. It'll be interesting to see how he does without a Mike Riley. Like he's going to need a quarterback and who's that going to be? Um, but if he came in and, and he could at least institute that to start some of that winning culture back on the field, if you have a strong president, when he leaves in two or three years, like he's bound to do because he's done it everywhere else he's ever been, then that president gets to bring in the next guy and be the consistency in the team that can now institute that same winning feeling or, or building that team with that new coach. Because right now, we honestly, we need a GM right away. Because we have to be ready to sign new guys. We have to be ready for free agency in February. We have to do all those things. The president search is going to take, uh, even the team was saying, likely till the end of January. So the president is going to be hired after the GM. In an ideal world, it would be hire the president, who then hires the GM, who then hires his coach, right? In this particular scenario, when all three are gone... It's not so bad if you have that nomadic guy come in as the GM because the president is going to be there to get his guy in that two-year time. So, And if it works out really well with the guy that's here, then great. Then maybe they can continue that. And, and maybe for once, Chris Jones will stay somewhere longer than three years. But I, I, I don't know. I, I won't hold my breath on that because I like breathing. <laughs> I find it fascinating this whole business, the GM wants to hire his coach. And I'm I'm a merit-based type of person. If there's a good guy already there, why does it have to be your coach? Like, it, it gets down to a, a who you know, not what you do type of situation. But here's the thing, I, and I think in football, I think in team sports in general, it's all fine and good to have a guy who has merit. But if you've had success with a guy at another level, you want that to continue, right? And you, there's a different comfort level and there's a different understanding. I'm going to give you an example outside of this. I used to work for a company in Calgary, a a home oxygen company. Then I came back up to Edmonton and was working with an oxygen company here. And, uh, but I had gone into that management style role and the, one of the people that I had just a really, really good connection with ended up moving to Edmonton. And I said, well, I want you to come work here because we, I already know how you work. I already know how we work this together. I know if I say this, you're going to 
you're going to do it. You're going to say this to me and I know what that's going to mean and we can work. And there's like almost like an unwritten language because you just know that person and you know, it's worked well before. And I feel that's what happens in sports. So when I say getting their guy, they're getting the person that they have, they've already cracked through all the, what do you mean by that? And it's, oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. I, I trust you. I've seen this happen. Okay. Go with this. And they can relate back to those past experiences and, and, and make it all happen. Right. So that's, that's kind of where I sit on it. Fair enough. Edmonton reached out to Wally Buono and he was a guy that was GM coach. Absolutely. Do you think his influence being a consultant is really guiding this or is he just sort of the person they vet the ideas to? Oh, I think he's just, I, I think it's, I think he's just vetting the ideas. Like I, I think he is in on the interviews because if they are going with a guy, let's say O'Shea, okay. Uh, he's never done the GM role before. So Buono knows how to do it and he knows how to do both, right? So he can sit down with these guys and say, how are you going to handle this situation? How are you going to handle this situation? And what based on the way that they answer, he can then go back to the board and say, yep, that's what I would do. Or, uh, I don't know, the guy's thinking is maybe not right for the GM role yet. <clears throat> the one thing that Wally Buono knows is he knows how to build a team and he knows how to coach a team and he knows how to do that in the CFL. And he's, he's spent his entire career hating us, <laughs> like hating Edmonton. So, the fact that he's here says a lot in that he's ready to, you know, help put the right person uh, in that, that understands what it means, especially if you are going with that combo rule. So if the Elks hire a prairie dog and a Richardson's ground squirrel, you don't think he's got one on you? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but I, I, yeah, I think they're, they're, I think the board would be a little better than that, but we'll, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But I, but, but the other part of it is, and, and this is what I was saying outside of the box, I guess. And I, and I don't know if this is possible. Like I, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know enough about the operations cap and, and how those things kind of work, but I would suggest they might even look to at a, like a brand new guy coming up as the GM, a young GM. So I'm just going to use, this is not what I'm saying, just as an example, but let's say they go with G. Roy Simon. Okay. going to bring him in as the GM, but they're going to backload his contract. So the first couple of years, he's going to be paid less. And then because those two years of the two years, they're paying still for Elizondo and for Sunderland, right? And, but it's a prove it contract, right? We'll start you out a bit less. You're still getting a GM salary, but it's, but it's a bit less. And then in the last year or two of your contract, we're going to increase it to more than what it normally would be. And that way, then we get around the whole salary cap or the, the specific cap that they have on operations, but they get a good, a young guy that can show me what you can do. Right. And then do the same thing with the head coach, bring in a guy that is brand new to head coaching, bring in Mark Killam, bring in Mark Washington, bring in somebody, but tell them we're going to backload your contract 
on the idea that we need to save some money a little bit up front to make this happen. And that way then they can get around the whole dual role issue. The other part of that is, is we want you here long-term. So we're going to backload this with the idea that you'll be there to have the success and then you'll get paid for that success as you get into those last years. Like, again, I don't know if it's possible. I'm trying to think outside the box when you're up against an operations cap, what they keep saying is it's got to be dual role. It's got to be dual role. Well, what about this type of situation? Is that even possible? And is it something that might work? The only thing that I am concerned about is if after the first two years, you think this person just is not the right fit. Now you've got a backloaded contract that you have to pay him out. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying it couldn't backfire. Don't get me wrong. But that's why you have Wano here. Tell me what you think. How can you do this? There, there's a lot of moving parts in that. Um, and yeah, you could be, you could like, it could be difficult at the end. On the other hand, if you're willing to give a contract like that, then the idea is, is that you you're sold on this guy, right? And maybe it's a three-year contract and the last year is big. And then if he's not working out as well as you hope, well, then you kind of find a way to put other people in place to kind of tough it out for the last year, so to speak. And then, but then at least you have a succession plan. Like you look at places like Calgary, you already know who the next guy is. Like it's, you know, whether it's, you know, Brett Monson or whether it's Mark Killam, it, whatever it is behind closed doors, they know when, when Huff's ready to be done being the GM, they probably have two, three guys in house that could take over that role. And when that, when they take over that role, the other guy is available to take on the guy's role that just got vacated. And then they're bringing in the new guy at the assistant level and not at the coordinator or head coach level. Right. So build that over the next three to four years. So that way then you have a chain that you don't ruin the entire system. If you have to have a guy leave, you can have that next guy right in house, right? You bring up the Stampeders and I think that's a great organization to point to because they have that. Yeah, but it makes us both gag to say that, right? Like they, they have that succession. <laughs> they look beyond this season. They look to two to three years down the road. Right. Huffnagel is secure in what he wanted to do for that franchise. And the upper echelons, the ownership, have really backed him throughout this whole process. And they've been rewarded. So you're right. If you get the right person, mm-hmm. you can make something happen for a long time. Yeah. And that would be the goal. Uh, we don't want it to be switching all the time. Bring a person in here who wants to be here long-term and wants to find success with, and not just be the the person to maybe be the the guiding force, but to wa- want it to be a success on and off the field. They they want the bigger picture of this. This is how we can get there. Uh, that's, that's, I don't know if that person even exists. That's just a dream of mine, I guess, to, to have somebody who wants to do that just throwing out an idea, but what would being a Canadian in that role mean? Because there's less competition from the NCAA to pull you away. Your roots are in Canada. Would that be a better fit? Now, O'Shea obviously fits that bill, right? but there are others. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it plays an enormous role. I think it helps. Don't get me wrong. And it'd be kind of cool to say, hey, you know what? You 
Canadian kid, you've played up through the ranks and now now you're a coach. Like, that would be pretty cool. Like, it'd be a great story. And happened in Winnipeg. Yeah, it did. Yeah. There, and there's lots of guys that you can say, okay, well, like, I, I truly thought we had that with Jason Moss. Like, I know he's not Canadian, but he came up, then he moved here and he lived here and is, for all intents and purposes, he's a Canadian in Edmonton, right? And knew the team and, and you know, knows the history, knows all those things. Like, I, I thought it was... I thought he was going to be here forever, honestly. Like, I, I really did. Now, did he make all the right decisions? No. No. Did he Did he do some things that were like a little, uh, why are you doing that? Yeah, he did. At the base of it, he he knew football. He knew Edmonton. He knew, we talk about bone culture. <laughs> like, he knew that. And and it just didn't work out. And whether that is because it didn't, the, the blend of him and Brock, is that part of the problem? Who knows? But I do know that it uh, we need to make that change. So it'd be it'd be nice to have that. Do, would I say specifically, okay, we have to look for that? No, I would say find the guy that can bring the right culture or the white winning feeling and put the right guys on the field and motivate them to play for each other. Thank you very much again for joining me on the show. Where can people find and follow you? Well, thank you again for having me because it's always fun to chat football with you. Uh, you can uh, find us at the Turf District, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, but you can also follow our YouTube page if you look up the the Turf District. And when we record, which uh, in the off season, uh, we're taking we've got one more show coming up next uh, Monday night on the twentieth. And then uh, we will be taking a bit of a break until probably the end of January, just because, uh, you know, especially when you have a season where it's not a lot of positive to talk about, it's kind of a slog. You kind of need like, oh, I love doing it because we have fun when we do it, but it's it's not always great when you have to be, you know, writing everything every week and you need a bit of a break for your head. Uh, so we'll take a bit of a break, but then we'll be every two weeks. And on YouTube, we re-record it live. So you can join us for the record and you can uh, throw in some comments and, and we'll read some of those and, and chat with people as we go through. So we'd love for you to join us there. And otherwise, just uh, you can interact with us on socials. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.